You may be seated. A classmate of mine in graduate school would often wear a blue baseball cap of the Detroit Tigers. He would also wear a pair of Ray-Ban shooter sunglasses. I believe I saw him one time sporting a Hawaiian shirt while wearing the cap and the sunglasses. And if I'm not mistaken, at one point, he had a mustache. So I got to thinking about my classmate as I considered how he dressed and, and how he looked so much of the time. And it dawned on me that he was trying to imitate Magnum P.I. Now, you may not know who Magnum P.I. is, but he was the, the star of the Magnum P.I. show that aired beginning 1980 and throughout the 80s. Tom Selleck played the main character, and I tell you what, he was one cool-looking dude. Actually, Tom Selleck still is today, although he's on a new series. There was a problem, though, with my classmate's imitation game with uh, Magnum P.I. Magnum P.I. drove around Hawaii in a Ferrari, and my buddy was a poor graduate student, and so the imitation game kind of broke down at one point, that point with finances. You know, imitation of someone else can be problematic when, we're, when we really don't like ourselves and, and we try to imitate someone else, or it, it can be really damaging when imitation is to make fun of someone else or uh, as a satirist might do, or to damage you know, someone's character, character assassination. But generally speaking, imitation in and of itself is, is not a bad thing. In fact, you may know the old truism, the old saying that's, that goes something like this, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And Oswald Wilde, who was a 19th century uh, playwright, in London said this. He, he restated that truism in this way. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness. And I want us to think about Wilde's restatement of this old truism in light of today's passage, just, just two verses today in Ephesians chapter 5. So here's how I would suggest that we restate this truism. Imitation is the sincerest form of living that a child can offer to greatness our heavenly Father. Let us pray, and then we'll read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. God, our Father, we ask you to grant us the ability to understand both in our heads and in our hearts what you would have us to know about imitating you and walking in love. So work, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering 
and sacrifice to God. Well, last week we looked at verses 25 through 32 of Ephesians chapter 5, and there we saw the Apostle Paul telling us to put away specific things about this old self, this this old man, this unconverted, sinful, Gentile way of living, as he's been talking about throughout chapter 4. Put away things like falsehoods, anger that degenerates into sin, stealing, corrupt talk, and being unforgiving. And then he says, also, put on these things that are consistent with the new self, the new person you have become in Christ Jesus, namely truthfulness, self-control, benevolence, gracious language, and forgiveness. And Paul's main point is simply this. A new life means a new lifestyle that is consistent with Christ. And so in light of what we talked about last week, the apostle now comes to chapter 5 and verse 1, and he says this, therefore, and that therefore causes us to think back of all that he has just said. Therefore, I give you two commands. Therefore, in light of what I told you to put away and what I've told you to put on, therefore, be an imitator of God and therefore, walk in love. And so today, we want to look at those, those two things. An imitator is a person who copies someone else's behavior and words and, and dress, like my friend in grad school. So in verse 1, Paul says... Be imitators of God. It's a command. It's in the imperative. If we look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38, we're given a command to imitate God. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. And also in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, very familiar passage. There we're called to imitate Christ's humility as he voluntarily set his glory aside and came down and suffered even death on a cross. As we consider, what does it mean? What, what, what does Paul mean when he says imitate God? I suggest that we look at chapter 4 and verse 24, where Paul says that after he has said, put off or put away these things, he says in verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And I think what Paul is doing here is telling us what it means to imitate God. We have been created in the image of God, and we've been endued with the capacity to pursue righteousness and holiness, though obviously in a limited degree. We have been, as image bearers, we have the potential to reflect God's moral rectitude to all of his commands and promises. In his will, we have the capacity to reflect, even in a limited way, God's absolute purity. No impurities at all. God has these completely. We have them in part. But Paul calls us to be and to do what we were originally created to be and do as the image bearers of God. And so Paul exhorts us to, to put away the old self and put on the new. And, and what he's saying there in this continual 
renewal that we undergo in putting off the old and putting on the new, the image of God in us, that which was marred and that which was corrupted and that which was distorted and stained by the fall and by our own sin is being restored. Never completely in this life, but one day in heaven we'll be perfectly bearing the image of, of God. And so think about our life today as being created in the image of God and in Christ, that image more and more being restored. But Paul has been saying, put away the old self, put on the new. And what he's saying is, brothers and sisters, as believers in Christ, we continue to struggle with reverting back to that old self and sometimes more than others Think for a moment with me <laughs> what Paul is calling us to do here. And think about what Paul is calling us to do in light of the passage that Jeff read earlier from Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. But we'll look specifically at verses 1 through 4. We've been talking a good bit thus far in chapter 4 about the fact that, that oftentimes we live more like the old self than the new self. And that's why Paul is saying, put off and put on. Daily be, be renewed. And then Paul says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of, of the God that, that we see powerfully described in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Imitate this, this transcendent God above and beyond all that, that he has uh, created, who is high and lifted up says Isaiah, who is sitting on his throne, ruling and governing in an absolute way from heaven. He is the ruler over all. And then Isaiah further says, and his robe fills the temple, indicating that, that God's glory not only fills the temple, but fills the earth. He is all glorious in heaven and on earth and then we see the seraphim those angels that worship God flying around saying holy 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 that that repetition of the one word holy three times impresses upon us just the magnitude the absoluteness of God's utter holiness free from all moral imperfections separated from what he has created he is so holy that sin cannot be before him and the seraphim were so overcome by the the majesty and holiness and glory of the one whom they worshiped they covered their faces they covered their feet as if to hide from this great almighty there sitting upon the throne and then the foundations of the threshold shook and the house was filled with smoke, the powerful voice of the Almighty, the, the expression of His fullness and omnipresence. It's a terrifying and disturbing thing to come before this awful, that is awesome, Almighty. And we see this in how Isaiah responds. He is crushed. He cries out, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. And Paul says, imitate this God. In our natural response, when we really think about it, when we really think about the struggle that Paul has talked about thus far in chapter 4 with our need to daily be renewed because we so easily go back to the old self and we need to put it away, we need to confess it, we need to receive forgiveness, we need grace to, that we leave it there and we put on a new change of clothes daily, which is the life of Christ. And our natural response, even as redeemed people should be, we, we come before this almighty God and we fall on our faces and we say, woe is me. Listen, fear and humility, not imitation, is our first and natural response to such a God. And I think we need to admit that. In fact, I would say that if we don't understand how awesome God is, and if that doesn't disturb us and even bring a real sense of fear, then maybe we don't have a right understanding of who God is. But notice what Paul says. He doesn't stop with imitate God and then leave, leaves us with this question. What on earth would give me, an unfaithful child of God, reason to imitate him when, I, when my life can be such a mess at times? Paul doesn't stop there because he says this. Be imitators of God as beloved children. We are adopted children through Christ. And there are several passages that speak to this. I'll just read one, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And Paul says, imitate God because you're his child. But he says something more. Imitate God because you are his, what? Beloved child. When we hear Paul say, imitate God... We should ask, what gives, why should I even think that I can imitate God? I need to fall down before him. And we do. And then it, as, it is as if Paul is saying, and remember, imitate God as a beloved child. It, perhaps we can think of it in this way that, that as we have fallen down on our faces before this, this almighty God, really thinking, how, how can I ever imitate him? Then the almighty, the ruler of all, sitting upon the throne, 
stands up, comes down from his throne, and he reaches down to his child who has fallen on his face, terrified to be before such a powerful God. And he says, oh, my, my dear beloved child, I sent my one and only son to give himself for you so that you could imitate me and enjoy me and live with me as my beloved child forever. Now, dear, dear son, dear, dear daughter, stand up and be righteous as I am righteous and be holy as I am holy. And as you do, you will be a fragrant aroma to me. Imitation is the sincerest form of living that a child can offer as a sacrifice to greatness, our Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father says, imitate me. Paul, in verse 2, commands us, secondly, to walk in love. And it's clear that the conjunction that is used there, and, means that walking in love is the primary way that a child of God is to imitate God. And he uses the verb walk here, as he does in chapter 4 and verse 1, to communicate a lifestyle, to communicate a way of living. Love should characterize the lifestyle of the believer. Here's what... John says in 1 John 4, 7 through 8, Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And, and dear friend, let, let us remember that God is love, and to imitate him means we are loving like he is loving. Every, every action that we take, every word that we speak, every thought that we think should be dripping with this love that is from God. It should be a copy. We should be a copy in all that we say, do, and think of how God loves and Paul doesn't just leave us there saying, walk in love, but he shows us how God has loved. He defines it for us. He says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And what is the way that Christ has loved us? He gave himself for us. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him and this is love not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins in Galatians 2:20, I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Christ loved us by voluntarily giving himself for us. And this is the way that we are to love, self-sacrificing love that is for the benefit of another, that is to meet the basic and greatest needs of others. That is love that doesn't give someone what they want, but gives someone what they truly need. It is love that, the Greek word for this love that we find is agape, God doing what is best for man, what man needs, and not merely what man wants is a good way to understand what agape love really is. It, it is sacrificing to benefit another. John 3.16, for God so loved, God so agaped the world that he gave his son. God loved us by taking action to give us what we need. And what do we need? Forgiveness and redemption. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why he came to love us. And Paul calls us to walk in love after the same manner of Christ's love for us, that we would act, that we would love to do that which is for the best of another. And I believe Paul's focus here primarily is in the church, that I love you to do what is best for you, my fellow believers here at Covenant, to do what you need to sacrifice in order that your needs might be met. Self-sacrificing love. That's how we are to walk and in order to be an imitator of God. John 15 in verses 12 and 13 remind us, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And listen to this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The same teaching is found in John 13, 34, where Jesus gave the new commandment after the Last Supper, where he instituted the Lord's Supper. And also we find this in 1 John 3, 16 through 18 and 1 John 4, 11 through 12. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This table that is set before us declares the love of God for his friends, for his people, for you and me. It declares that he has loved us, past tense. It doesn't say he doesn't love us today, he surely does. But the act of, the, the supreme act of love was Jesus being born of woman, as Paul says in Galatians, living under the law where he lived a perfect life, going to the cross, his body placed in the grave, resurrection, ascension. All that Jesus has done was love for us that our best might be achieved, that our needs might be met. Dear friend, if you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus as the one who is the definition of love, who supremely loves, then I would offer 
this opportunity for you to come and trust in what true love is. Maybe you're struggling with loving others and maybe you're feeling like no one loves you. Well, if you really want to know what true love is, come to Jesus and experience self-sacrificing love that meets needs. Jesus gave himself to benefit us. You know, my classmate put on his blue baseball cap, put on his Ray-Ban shooter sunglasses, and they are really cool sunglasses, put on his Hawaiian shirt. If he had a Ferrari, he would have gotten in it. All of that is to imitate God. Now, what will we put on? What act of love will we put on to imitate God? Will we put on sacrificing wealth for the benefit of our brothers and sisters in Christ? for the expansion of Christ's kingdom to minister to the poor? Will we put on sacrificing wealth? Will we put on sacrificing time to love a brother or sister in need who just needs someone to talk to? To sacrifice time because of ministry within the church or outside of the church? Will we sacrifice time to get our hands dirty in furthering the work of the church? Will we put on sacrificing our agendas that we can so tightly hold on to? Will we just sacrifice our agendas so that the work of the church might go forth in peace and in unity, what will we put on that is a sacrifice, a self-sacrificing act of love to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ and even those outside of the church? What will you put on? What will I put on? This is the question that we are to ask, having studied this passage of Scripture. What might we lay down that would be laying down our life, laying down our interests, laying down our possessions to love our brothers and sisters here at Covenant? Well, what happens when we love like Christ loves? When Christ gave himself for us what is displayed here in this table when this this boggles my mind you, the old testament you you take an animal you sacrifice it and you throw the whole thing or bits and pieces of it on the altar and it's burned have you ever smelled burning flesh it really doesn't smell that good in my judgment but there's smoke that's rising from, from the altar, ascending as it, 
as if it was going up to heaven. And when Jesus was there as the, as the one truth, the once for all sacrifice, and he was dying on that cross, and he died on that cross, what Paul says here in verse 2 of chapter 5 is that it was, that Christ's sacrifice was a fragrant aroma that, that, that rose like the burning flesh of an animal that's been sacrificed up, up, up to heaven. And it was pleasing to God. It was fragrant. It was precious. It was of infinite value. And what, but Paul is saying more here. He is saying this, that when a believer walks in love like Christ loved, self-sacrificing love, it too, that act, is an offering, a sacrifice, a fragrant aroma that rises up to God, that billows up to God. A fragrant offering that is pleasing. You want to please God? Love like Christ's love. You want Covenant Presbyterian Church to be pleasing like God? Then we all come together and we love like Christ's love, this self-sacrificing love. And it would be as if smoke <laughs> is billowing from Covenant Presbyterian Church because you and me are loving so self-sacrificially that literally you can see the smoke rising from Covenant. And maybe even the fire department will be called because there's so much smoke rising from Covenant. But it's not smoke. It's the fragrant aroma of true sacrifice offered to God that is pleasing to him. And that's what we're called to do. And as people walk by and they smell the fragrant aroma and they say, my, what is going on at that church? And the answer is, they're being imitators of God by walking in love as Christ has loved them. And their acts of love are such an offering that it is fragrant to God who is in heaven and he is pleased. That's the church I want to be a part of. That's the church I want us to be. And in just two verses, I believe the Apostle Paul gives us all that we need to be a church that imitates God and walks in love. Let us pray. Father in heaven, imitation is the sincerest form of living that a child can offer to greatness. You are heavenly Father. So work in us that we might walk in self-sacrificing love like Christ. That we might be a fragrant aroma rising up to heaven to please you. We ask this and we pray this in Christ's name.
Amen.